Um, morning, my name's Scotty. Lots of you don't know me. Um, I'm the new pastor here started. It's been about seven months, just seven months already. Dang. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm here. I'm originally from Scotland, hence why I talk way better than everyone else. And uh, other, than, other than Josh, because he's Kiwi and that, that's close. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I just want to start with this. You know, it's Easter, so we need a little bit of energy and a little bit of excitement. So I want you to channel your inner, like, elementary school person, right? So uh, if you've grown up in a traditional church, this is not going to be unfamiliar to you. So I'm going to say, he is risen, and you're going to respond with, he is risen indeed, right? So I'm going to say it. He is risen Okay, your inner middle schooler, not, right? <laughs> not your inner two-year-old that can't talk yet, right? <laughs> he is risen. He is risen okay, now, now what we're going to do, I, I want to do a little, let, let's play a little bit. Okay, uh, I, I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to have the, the men repeat it, and then I'm going to say it again, and we're going to have the women say it, and I want to see who's loudest, right? Men or women, and, and I know how this is going to go already. Ready? So, so uh, men first, right? He is risen. Oh, that was actually pretty good. Uh, ladies, show us how it's done. He is risen. I should, I should have done it before, had someone do it before. There's some kids. No, I, I won't embarrass you. <laughs> yeah, he is risen, and that's what we're here to celebrate today. You know, every day for a Christian is a day when we celebrate the fact that he rose. Uh, every day is a day where we get to celebrate resurrection. But Easter is the special day that we have set aside to look at this. Um, and, you know, I, just talking to some already, I'm hearing the words, you know, this is the first time that I've been in a church in the last year. First time I've been here since COVID started. So welcome. Um, it's awesome that you're here to join us. It's been a crazy year, right? <laughs> uh, Easter last year was like, what on earth is going on? We, uh, we live streamed our church service and, and I dressed up in a suit and Monica got on a big dress and we we're just like, let's do this in our living room. Had the kids in fancy outfits and we sat there live streaming at home. But, but no one foresaw on the lead up to Easter last year, what was going to happen? No one foresaw the craziness of this last year, the uncertainty, the discomfort, the frustrations. Um, I wrote down a, a bunch of things that have happened in the last year, um, and these are just the ones that, that we know about uh, here. <laughs> so here's some of the big news items that happened in the last year. You can puzzle at that picture. I'm going to share about it in a minute. Um, but the U.S. No, you can leave up. The U.S. election happened this year. For some people, you're excited. For some people, you hate that word right now. There were protests in the city around race and racial injustice. Uh, COVID obviously has come and, and robbed us of jobs and friendships. Uh, schools closed down. Parents went from the freedom of working to having to navigate kids at home. Um, some of us, we've seen death in our family, some COVID-related, some not. Um, Harry and Meghan left the royal family. Um, two impeachment trials, the death of a Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg, Kamala Harris, the first female and ethnic vice president. There were wildfires here in Portland and we had uh, smoke apocalypse where no one could breathe. George Floyd and his death, Kobe Bryant uh, and a plane crash. Over in Australia, bushfires that decimated. This has been a year that has been horrible. 
And then all of the normal things that we use to cope with life, the coffee shops that we go to, the restaurants that we meet our friends in, the houses that we like to visit, our church services, and all of our normal, all of those things have been stripped away, making it doubly hard to deal with and adjust to all of the issues that we're facing. Um, Last year, uh, it was about this time, it was in March, I got the privilege of taking my wife to India for the first time. I remember the preparation for the trip and people were talking about this thing called COVID that was in a couple of places around the world. It was in China. I'm like, we're going to India. We don't need to worry about that. And then we're hearing more news about it and and some people that were going to go with us on the trip said, I'm not sure I should go. I don't want to catch this disease. We're like, oh, I'll be fine. So I get Monica on the plane. We fly to India. It's like we travel for two days. We stay in a hotel to kind of get adjusted to the time zone. We arrive in the country. We are there to minister to some of the most broken in the world. Uh, we get there, I'll tell you, we were there for a day and a half before we had to leave the country. So our two-week trip was cut short. We spent four days traveling for a day and a half in the country. Um, but, but as I was thinking of it today, this, this one situation kept coming back to my mind because there was this day, it was the first day that we were there, Uh, And we're in India and we traveled out to this village and Monica, as a dental hygienist, they'd asked her, would you come and would you educate people on oral hygiene? Because they don't have this kind of education. And one of the days we went to village and they said, would you come to this school and would you teach these kids about oral hygiene? And hopefully through that process, you'll be able to save them losing their teeth and all the pain that comes later on down the line. So we go to this village, to this little school. This is the full school and this is their schoolroom. So we go in, we're sitting at the front, they cram all of these little kids into this room. Now, this looks all right, actually, for, for, for an Indian school, but this is one of the nicer buildings in the area that we're in. The kids look good because they've got school uniforms, so this is like their best clothes that they're sitting in right now. And we're sitting with these kids in the middle of just dirt and mess, huge poverty. Like, they don't have toothbrushes, they don't have toothpaste, they don't have good education, they have nothing. So we're sitting with these students who are some of the lowest and least in the world. And and, and you're looking at this, and I I was waiting on these moments for Monica to experience. We're sitting there, and I'm looking, I'm like, this is horrible. Like, we're crammed, there's no AC. We're in this tiny little room. All the kids are crammed on the floor. We're sitting there, and Monica's about to get up and give this presentation on oral hygiene that she has to do through an interpreter and try and figure out how to interpret oral hygiene things to an interpreter in a way that, like, a little kid here that doesn't speak English is going to understand and doesn't have any context for oral hygiene. So we're sitting there, and it's hopeless. It's a hopeless situation and you sit there going, what is this mess? And having been in India a lot, I love it over there and I love this about this country. You know, we serve the God of resurrection, right? We serve the God who brings life and hope into hopeless situations. So I did the worst thing a husband can do to his wife at this moment and I looked at Monica and I said, I have one request before you start to teach. It's like, I want you to just sit for a minute and I want you to ask God what his heart is for these kids. Because most of them are not believers. It's a Hindu school. I was like, so when you get the moment, I want you to stand up and I just want you to share with these kids God's heart for them. Because this is an opportunity to speak life into a hopeless situation. And what happened? Monica stopped and and I turned away and I turned back and she's just snot nose crying next to me. And in that moment, God downloaded into her an understanding of his heart for these people. 
And she stood up in front of this group of kids and she's trying to reassure them, nothing's wrong, I'm really happy. <laughs> and she's like, I love it. Uh, because God has this message for you and in the middle of this darkness spoke this message of hope that he sees them, that he knows them, that he loves them. Uh, and I, I, I was gonna put up the picture, Monica, because I turned around being a good husband and I took a picture of the snot nose crying. Because I was like, we need to remember this. But I was like, I won't do that to you on Easter when you look your best, just put that up there. But, but just uh, one of those stories, it's a story of hopelessness. And the moment that God broke in into Monica's heart to break into the lives of these kids. Um, God is in the business of breaking into hopeless situations to bring hope. He's the God who, who wants to take death and turn it into resurrection. And, and we're sitting in this situation where we're looking at the world around about us. We're looking at all the issues that we're facing and the difficulty of the last year. And the promise that we get to look at today is that God wants to bring resurrection into the death that's around us. He wants to breathe hope to the hopeless. He wants to strengthen the weary. So to do this, we're, we're going to look at Luke chapter 24. It's the end of the story. Um, but the context... You know, I think this may be the year where we are most equipped to enter into this story. If you were here for Good Friday, we, we spent some time looking at the death moment. You've got to remember, these are people, the disciples are with Jesus. He's been moving through Israel and he's been calling them to himself. He's been looking into them and seeing their hopes and their dreams and calling them to follow. They've been following him around and watching him touch uh, cripples and see them healed, touch blind people, and, and they're seeing, touch the ears of deaf people and they're hearing. He's confronting the religious establishment that's oppressing the people. So, so he's going around, they're excited. They're hearing him teach about the kingdom of God and they're filled with excitement and curiosity about this promise of what's to come. They have all of the promises of their history that a Messiah would come who would rescue people, who would redeem the world, and they're looking, is this the one? And then you have this moment on Good Friday where these people, full of hope and promise, are watching their leader and their friend and their mentor being brutally murdered in front of their eyes, beat up, mocked, a, a, a rigged trial, um, and just being torn down, and they're watching. So they're in this place of hopelessness. And, and when we know the story and we listen to the story over and over again, it's easy to just read the details and see it as a historical event and fail to, to step into the emotion and the pain and the uncertainty of the situation. And, and I share all of that and I share what I shared before this to say, I think this year we're most poised to enter into the despair of the Easter story. With everything that we face this year, with the uncertainty, with the loneliness, with the frustrations, political uh, protests, smoke issues, fire, loss, all of those things, we're in a year where as, as believers, we're, we're looking, going, this is not the way God wants it to be. As, as, as people that don't follow Jesus, we're going, what is going on in the world round about? And so we're at this point in the story where Jesus is dead. Um, he's in a grave all hope is dashed. All plans for a future are gone. Uh, they didn't know the end of the story. They didn't understand that he was going to raise. So it's in a situation like ours, full of hopelessness and despair, uh, that the next part of the story comes that gives us hope for this season that we're in and gives us a charge as we walk into the world. So let's, let's read Luke chapter 24, 
It's most of the chapter. Um, Let's read this and then we'll pull it apart a little bit. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I tell you, we're still looking for life in dead places today. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense." How much today does a message of resurrection seem like nonsense in the midst of the, the, the world situation that we're in? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, but they did not find Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures learning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. 32. They asked, <laughs> forgot to delete that one. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. 
Man, what a story. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I just, I can't, honestly. I can't imagine someone that I know being dead for three days, and then one day I'm just kind of appearing next to me, and then talking with me, and then just disappearing, right? Could you imagine the elation, the glee, the confusion that, that would have come in this moment? It's, it's such a beautiful story, but um, I want to I jump in and just highlight a few of the verses through this passage that I think have a lot to speak to us about the situation that we're living in and, and the kind of resurrection hope that we get to walk in in the middle of this dark world. So the, the first thing I want to say, and this is like, you're going to be like, duh. In darkness and despair, there's a staggering truth we see. In, and the first thing that we see in here, Jesus is alive, okay? Okay, cool. One person's excited about that. <laughs> I'm joking. This, this, I mean, this is the foundational truth. Jesus is alive. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that he's alive? He was alive. He did great things. Why does it matter that he's alive today? Why does it matter? Because he's here and he's present. It matters because when he came and he gave his life and then he was raised from the dead and then he appeared to his disciples and then he ascended into heaven, because he was alive, he was able to send his spirit. And now his spirit is here so that the life of Christ can be in us and around us. Jesus is alive is the difference between living life with just the resources you have right here and living life filled with the life of Christ being poured in and through your body and out into the world. We could, we could worship Jesus, we, we, could, we could watch his life, we could read his teachings, we could get some good moral compass from watching Jesus and him be dead. But because he's alive, the Spirit is in us, empowering us to move forward. So, so, so the first thing, like, you know, we look at the world round about us, we look at the situation we're in, we feel the despair, the hopelessness, the loneliness, we have to constantly bring ourselves back to the truth. Jesus is alive, and if Jesus is alive, what difference does it make? It means he is present. Scripture actually says that Jesus didn't just raise from the dead and go back to heaven to be worshipped. It says he raised from the dead and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father where he is interceding for us. So Jesus right now is at the right hand of God and he is praying for you. He is asking God to pour life into your life. He is asking God to pour hope into your hopelessness. He is asking God to change the situation in the world around about us. And I'll tell you this, if there's anyone whose prayers won't fail, it's his. My confidence that this is not the way things need to be and not the way things are gonna be is because Jesus is alive at the right hand of the Father, interceding night and day for things to be different. And then he's waiting for us to partner with him in bringing those things to bear on the earth. A couple of scriptures to think through. Jesus, when he was here, was talking. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He told uh, Lazarus' uh, sister, he, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He told the woman at the well uh, uh, that, that he was the water of life. Then he goes on and he talks to disciples and he says, I'm the bread of life. He teaches people that there's a thief out there, the enemy of our souls who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came to give life and life in abundance. Acts chapter three, when Peter's preaching, he calls Jesus the author of life. The author of life can't stay dead. 
The resurrection and, and the life can't stay in a tomb. Why did Jesus raise from the dead? Was it because God was gracious to Jesus? No, it was because Jesus is the author of life and life can't stay dead. Okay, I'm the only one excited about this. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is alive. He did the only thing his body could do. The author of life who came to show life, to bring life, to offer life, and to bring us into eternal life did the only thing that he could do. He sacrificed himself, and then his true nature came to fruition as he rose from the dead. That's the God that sits with us in the darkness that we're walking in. But the reality is we're here in the darkness, lost in our despair. There's this beautiful little moment in this story that, that kind of hits where we're at right now. Um, lost in despair, these people weren't able to recognize Jesus when he was standing right next to them. It says, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, how many times are you sitting in a situation where you're despairing and Jesus is standing right next to you and you don't even recognize he's there? You watch an election happen and you're looking at the results and you're terrified not realizing that Jesus is both beside you and seated on the throne. You're watching someone in your life struggle with debilitating illness, not realizing that Jesus is right beside you. He's right next to them and he's seated on the throne over the whole situation. But often our situations, our despair, our self-dependence, our reliance, our brokenness, those things keep us from recognizing that God that's right next to us. So what does that mean for us? It means we have to be people that practice cultivating the eyes to notice Jesus where he's right next to us. Um, I mean, I would ask for a show of hands, how many people here, when bad things happen, your first response is like, Jesus is right here next to me, he's alive and he's moving. How many of us are like, oh, the world's falling apart, why is this happening? How do I fix it? We fix our eyes on the issues, we fix our eyes on the brokenness, we fix our eyes on how we solve it, and we forget that he's right next to us, ready to give us solutions, ready to give us hope, ready to guide us into a situation of life, but we won't always recognize him. Pain, loss, financial difficulty, loneliness, housing issues, addiction, fear, identity confusion, shattered dreams, life transitions, old age, illness, lack of purpose, lack of clarity, all of these things stop us from recognizing God right next to us wanting to move in our life. So we end up searching for life among dead things. We're looking for solutions and life in our own ability. We're looking for it in books and TV and self-help and therapy groups. We're, we're running around looking at the things of the world, political camps, activism, uh, trying to find the life that only he can bring. We're searching for the living among the dead. Um, I, I put this in here as, as a side note. I put it in brackets because this is just a, we all know this. <laughs> Scripture reveals who God is it reveals what he's promised, it reveals what he does, and it reveals what he wants to do in you. If scripture reveals Jesus, then the answers to the questions that we're carrying are found in scripture. Now, again, as Christians, we know this, but then we don't know it. 
because we don't often act on it. So then you're in a situation, my kid is not pursuing Jesus. What do I do? You go to scripture because it's going to tell you how to love your kid that isn't walking with Jesus. I feel hopeless in this situation. Someone in my family is dying. What do I do? You come to scripture and you ask God, what does it say here about hope and life and health? And we find the answers in scripture. What does scripture do? It just points us back to Jesus, his character, his hope. It reminds us of the spirit that is in us at work and moving. Uh, the scriptures bring life as the word of God and the spirit of God connect inside of us, bringing life, breaking in, and then through us to the people around about us. Um, I, I like to call it asking the Bible questions. If you're here and you have questions, you're looking at things going on in the world, like what is God's response to the protest? What is God's response to the injustice? What does God want to do here? What, how, how do I deal with the financial issues? How do I deal with Christian leaders that are falling? How do I deal with innocent people being harmed? Ask the Bible a question. Just grab your Bible. I usually would say start somewhere in the New Testament because that's a little easier. Um, there was a guy who founded Multnomah Bible College up in Northeast Portland. He said what he'd do is he'd ask the Bible questions. God, like, why is this going on? He would just open it, Matthew, and he would just start reading, and he would write down everything he found that answered the question. And he said, if I got to Revelation and I didn't have the answer, I'd jump back to Genesis and I'd just start reading from there. Um, but here's the deal. We, we say we're desperate for answers. We say, I would give anything to have this situation changed, anything except sit down and read the Bible, right? <laughs> Probably the easiest thing we can give to sit down and to ask God, what have you revealed here about how I do this? Um, because there are so many words of hope in this book. There are so many answers to the brokenness. Uh, we just need to go there to have it reveal him to us. We're not recognizing him. Let's use the thing <laughs> that points to who he is. Okay, that was just supposed to be a side note. <laughs> um, the other verse in here that I think is fascinating when it comes to the situation we're in, we're here, we're struggling. We're not recognizing Jesus when he's there. We're not necessarily taking the, the tools that he's given us to find him. But Jesus is a gentleman. Jesus isn't going to force himself on your life. Jesus actually cares a lot about consent in more ways than one. Jesus doesn't force his way on people. He waits for us to invite. You've got this beautiful moment. <laughs> I used to puzzle over this verse in the story. They're walking along and it says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But then they urged him strongly, stay with us. Like, What's Jesus doing? Why is he like pretending? He's faking that he's gonna go a little bit further. Why didn't he just stop? Obviously he wants to stop and reveal himself. He's waiting on the invite. He doesn't want to force himself on them. He doesn't want to impose on their hospitality. Culturally, they're kind of forced to do it in some sense. But he's like, I'm just going to pretend I'm walking on. And the people say, hang on, why don't you stay with us? You've, had, you've given me answers. You've pointed me to solutions. Something in this relationship has given me hope and peace. So why don't you just stay and linger? How many of us are struggling with issues because the issue you're facing right now is something that you're dealing with, but you haven't actually invited Jesus in? Jesus, I'm dealing with an eating issue. I'm just going to go on a diet. <laughs> Jesus, help me 
to identify the issues that here come in. Show me your truth. Show me what you want to do. How many of us are dealing with some kind of addiction and, and, and it's hidden from everyone around us or we think it is. A lot of the time other people know what's going on. <laughs> and we're like, I'm going to fix this. I can do this on my own. And we're not asking Jesus to step in. How many of us, is, it's business issues. We're trying to figure out the next step in our business enterprise. And we're reading the right books and we're going to the conferences and we're asking the right people, but we're not inviting Jesus to come in. Arguably the greatest businessman that's ever existed because he created every enterprise that exists on the planet. Why wouldn't we invite him in? So we don't recognize him because of the issues round about. We ignore the very guidebook that reveals him and then we fail to invite him in. And yet we long for resurrection. So what's the solution? The solution is we stop and we ask him to help recognize. We turn to the word to see it reveal him. We invite him in and we wait for him to move. You know, one of the things I love in here, Jesus is so gracious. Because even when we don't stop and say, Jesus, come in, he knows when our heart is longing for it. And he knows when we're so broken that we can't utter the words and out of grace he hears the spirit yearning inside of us and he just drops in to offer us a word of hope a word of encouragement he's so gracious and he's waiting to be invited fifth point his presence changes everything his presence changes everything their eyes were open they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us? The change, his presence made a change from not recognizing him to seeing who he was. It made the difference from hopelessness inside to a heart that was burning with hope. I mean, I'm hoping you feel it as we talk about this, the despair and the promise of hope. I'm hoping you feel that hope start to kindle inside, that, that you can invite Jesus in and he'll change the situation that you're walking in. God wants to move and he wants to change. His presence changes everything. It's why he came and died and then ascended and sent us his spirit. I think we forget this sometimes because Jesus, if he stayed and he just lived here, he can only be in one place at one time. He was in Israel. He wasn't in America. He wasn't in Scotland. He wasn't even in New Zealand, though it's clearly the Garden of Eden. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's, he, he could be in one place at one time, but then he left and he sends his spirit. Now his spirit is in every one of us. It's in every church around the world. It is moving in multiple places at multiple times. He's speaking his teaching to each one of us. His presence changes everything. The presence of Jesus is the difference between uh, hopelessness and hope. It's the difference between someone that's dying uh, with no hope for the future and someone that has the hope of eternal life with him. The difference between having Jesus and not having Jesus is the difference between knowing that you're gonna spend eternity with the people that you know and love or not. It's the difference between knowing that the pain and suffering that you're dealing with has a purpose. It's not just meaningless. You know, as his people, <laughs> we, there's, there's this uh, meditation that I think is really helpful. Let me just throw this, this diagram up. Um, Good Friday is something we spend a lot of time talking about in the church. You know, Jesus died, 
and it's significant and, and we, we have the time usually on Friday to sit and reflect on that. We come to Easter Sunday and we're like, you know, I, I, yeah, I should do it the other way because you're going this way. So Good Friday's over here. Easter Sunday is the moment we celebrate his resurrection and the hope that we have. But I tell you, where most of us spend all of our life living is actually Holy Saturday. This is the situation that we're living in right now. The death has happened in our life, the death of hope, the death of dreams, the death of ambition, the death of our plans. Uh, and we know over here that, that, that there's life to come, there's resurrection that's promised, but what we've been, been doing for the last year, we're living in the tomb. We're living in this in-between where we're seeing the pain of Good Friday, but we're not getting to experience all the hope of Easter Sunday. This, this is where we are, but I tell you, he was present in the tomb. His body was there in the tomb. If you're in the tomb, Jesus is there. My question would be, what's the tomb that you're sitting in right now? What's that place of hopelessness where it feels like the world is falling apart, there is no hope for the future? Where's that place where it feels like God is dead? And there's no way out, there's no solution to what's coming. Where's that place where you're blinded to the fact that resurrection is coming, that life has been promised, that the, 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 the promises of heaven can break into our situation? We're living in Holy Saturday, but resurrection comes. We live in the now and not yet. He's done the work, he's had the victory, he's won the battle. Uh, and we're living in the hope that he wants to move and change the situation that we're in. So as believers, we have to practice resurrection. We have to practice resurrection. We have to engage in practices that bring life. What does it look like to practice resurrection? What did it look like for Jesus to practice it when he was in the tomb? Not a lot, because he was dead, right? <laughs> He was depending on the work that God was about to do. Practicing resurrection is, first of all, a practice of waiting. It's waiting on God and trusting his promises. It's claiming the promises that we read in Scripture and saying, God, you promised life, and so we claim life. Practicing resurrection is hard because here's a, a, a painful scriptural reality. Death always precedes resurrection. We want the resurrection, but we don't always want the death that precedes it. And for some of us, we're longing for hope, but in order to long, in order to experience the hope we're longing for, we need to die to the self-made dream that we're pursuing and ask God to give us a fresh one. For some of us, uh, we're longing for the restoration of a relationship, but we need to die to our version of the outcome and our attempts to control the people around us and ask God to do his reconciling and rework. Some of us want freedom from issues that we're wrestling with, but in order to get the freedom that we want, we have to die to our pride and admit our brokenness to the people around about us. We, we have to die to instant gratification and, and delay in order to see Jesus do what he wants to do in and through us. We have to practice resurrection. And then part of practicing resurrection is the role that we play in this world. Jesus brings life. When Jesus is here and he heals, it's because his life flows through him into the situation in front of him. 
Uh, the, the moments that we see, the miraculous, the interventions, those glimmers of God's glory are his life breaking in. So part of practice and resurrection is understanding that you are called to be an agent of resurrection. When God calls you to him, he calls you to be a bearer of his life, bringing resurrection in the situations around about you. So that means becoming the kind of person that when you see hopelessness in someone, you know the truths of Scripture about the promises that he gives. You stop and you say, God, what is the hope that you want to give this person? And then we speak and breathe life into their soul. When you're looking at people that are struggling with the world round about, practicing resurrection is to say, there is a hope. This is not all there is. You don't have to be stuck in the tomb on Holy Saturday. Easter Sunday is coming. Resurrection is coming. God wants to do a resurrecting work in your life and he wants to use you to break resurrection into the lives of the people around about you. We sang that song by Ren Kleck to win this nation back. God wants to use you to play a part in bringing resurrection to our country, to this world. Um, but we have to be willing to do it. We have to die to self. We have to be willing to sit in the tomb and rest in Holy Saturday trusting that though things haven't turned out the way we want them to, that the promises say that everything's going to turn out just right. We declare his truth, and then we invite his presence to make a difference in our lives. We need to be a church that practices resurrection in the world around about us. So I want to invite a, a, a couple of responses before we pray and, and, and do our final song. The first one is this, you know, there are people, I, I don't know who's, who, where you're at on the, the faith spectrum, but if you're here, you may be here and, and you're not walking with Jesus. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him. Uh, Jesus wants to bring resurrection into your life. Uh, he wants to allow his presence to dwell inside of you, to change the hopelessness, to give you a new set of lenses with which you can recognize him. And he wants to anoint you to be a bearer of life to the world. Um, so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, your step is, I want to die to self. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up my way of doing life in order to embrace yours. Jesus, I'm going to trust that, that your truth is the best truth, that your life is the best life. And if that's you, just inside, you say, Jesus, this is it. Like, I want the hope that you offer. I want the truth that you bring. Would you resurrect me and make me an instrument that resurrects others? For some of us here, uh, perhaps you've been walking with Jesus in the past and, and you've been away from him for a while. This is an opportunity. He, he sees your life. He knows your struggles. He wants to resurrect his life in your life. So for you, you say, God, I've been a bit distant. I'm like the prodigal son that's run away and now is my moment. I want to come back to you. I don't want to waste away in this world. I want to be an agent of your resurrection. So God, I give myself back to you. Use me to speak hope in other people. Um, for the rest of us, and if you've prayed that prayer, your step is a, is a step of commitment. God calls us to be agents of resurrection. Uh, and, and we don't always in the church do a good job of this. Sometimes we do a good job of the serious part of our faith. 
We do a good job of the rebuking part of our faith. We do a good job of telling people what they need to die to. And those are all important because death precedes resurrection. But God wants to use you to be an agent of resurrection in the people around about you. So your prayer should, should sound something like this. God, I commit to being an agent of resurrection. I want you to revive my heart. I want you to fill me again. I want to feel your life inside of me. And God, I want you to use me to speak life into others. Would you resurrect hope in me, resurrect faith in me, and then send me to resurrect the world round about, a world filled with darkness and death. Lord, would you use us as agents of resurrection? If uh, if you we're one of the first two categories uh, as we're praying there. I'd love you to come and chat with me. I'd love to, to, to pray for you. Um, if you have something that you need prayer for, feel free to come find me. We would love to pray for you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, uh, and the band are going to come up and, and lead us in a final song. Um, God, it is a hard world, and this last year has been, has been tough hopelessness and fear and anxiety and loneliness and doubts and uncertainty and anger and frustration, resentments and bitterness. Uh, There's been loss. There's been shattered dreams. Uh, But God, you've been present, not just present with us, present on the throne, walking alongside us. God, you want to bring resurrection into this world. You want to use your church for this. Um, But we're guilty We're guilty of looking just as anxious and broken as the rest of the world in the middle of this season. Lord, we have hope of the resurrection, but sometimes our non-Christian friends seem to be dealing with this stuff better than we do. So God, what we need you to do is is resurrect us, resurrect our faith, resurrect our, our hope. Where there's fear, may faith prevail. Where there's hopelessness, may hope come through. Where we lack strength, may you strengthen us. And then, God, would you take us and and light that fire in us? Was not our heart burning within us? Light that fire and then send us to ignite the people round about us, to warm up cold hearts, to lift eyes off of the brokenness of the world to the hope that you promised. God, would you give us security in you and would you help us to lead others into that? God, thank you. You died. Thank you that you were in the tomb. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that you poured out your spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We need you. Do what you do and send us to the ends of the earth to be agents of resurrection in Jesus' name. Amen.